is right. Now I know. How's everybody doing? I've had a few weeks to look forward to this. This is um, somewhat of a new environment for me. I have gotten up and you know prayed and shared different things. But as far as preaching a sermon, um, that's not something I've done before. And leading up to this, I was thinking about all the times I speak to people. Um, sometimes I get in this rhythm and it's like a cork is pulled out and I'm just I'm speaking kind of freely and passionately. And um, when I get like that, I, I do it when I'm not really thinking. I'm just kind of right out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And, and I'm thinking, I don't want to be an expert at this. I just want to have an abundant heart, you know. You, I'm just realizing more and more, especially this past year, the more I put in um, to myself as far as sowing into in, with the word, prayer, and stuff that all, all things that I, I think I have so much room to grow, I know I do. Um, it's just you get a harvest out of that. And um, so tonight, um, I started to make an outline of what is, you know, what the Lord's been speaking to me, and I just realized I have a lot of stuff here. So I'm going to do my best to keep things together. Um, but really, um, the Holy Spirit overrides anything I have to say, right? If, anything, if there's anything I say that you actually receive and it has, there's fruit with it, it's spirit to spirit. And uh, so um, I don't have to depend on myself. And the more I was in my head leading up to this, it just brought anxiousness. And I don't like that. I don't have time for that. None of you have time for anxiousness. Be anxious for nothing. It's a command from Jesus. And uh, so I'm going to pray real quick before we start. And I just ask everybody to agree. Father, I just thank you for open ears to the spirit, open hearts. I just pray that you would anoint my words with your heart, that what you want to speak to your people would be spoken freely, Lord, that you would take uh, every every bit of this, the moments ahead, wherever you want it to go, with, and that everybody here would receive something, even if it's only a single word or a phrase that just touches them, uh, that's you communicating to them, that something that I'm totally... Uh, unaware of, Lord. I just thank you for doing that tonight. And I thank you for just uh, clearing every distraction, Lord. So we love you, we thank you, we worship you. In Jesus' name. Amen. So there's a few things I want to share, and they kind of have to do with just where we're at in this prophetic timeline where we're at in this day and age. The, being aware of the times and the seasons, 
And uh, what the Lord has put mostly on my heart is being prepared and what that looks like. And um, we're stepping into awakening. Um, I think to me that that's clear, it's obvious. Um, but I also, I realize sometimes I make assumptions about where people are as far as their perspective. You know, sometimes we get so wrapped up in our lives or just small matters, the micro things of life, we're missing the macro. And we can't do that um, in this time. It's a really significant time. Um, we need the micro revelation and the macro revelation. You know, we need to see things detailed with a microscope, and we also need to see it with a 30,000-foot view, you know, because that's how God sees things, the big and the small. And uh, I think that's one thing he helps me to um, steward is the little picture in context of the big picture. And so I want to share some of the things the Lord has been speaking to me about that, and it might be kind of here and there, but, uh, you know, I read the words of Jesus, and, you know, he jumped around a lot, so uh, I feel like I have permission, and I'm also kind of winging it, but Holy Spirit's with me, so, you know, I was thinking, like, one of my prayer I pray sometimes, like, Lord, humble me. And I'm like, you know, this would be a really bad time <laughs> for him to answer that <laughs> prayer. And then I'm also really thankful because he could. And I have people here uh, who love me. I could fall on my face, you know, and uh, it wouldn't make any difference. They'd be here for me. So that's good. It's very, I just, it's so refreshing, and it's what the world needs, is family. So uh, the other thing I was thinking is, uh, with all these things I want to share, you know, um, we, are, we live in the day and, day and age where you can find, you know, every teaching on everything on YouTube, like the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues, giving you know, the courts of heaven, um, anything you want from any voice you want, you know, you think about in the days of the early church, like people were, you know, the Macedonians were just anxious to get Paul to come and, you know, just desperate for a word from the, you know, the man of God. And now, like, we're just, we're so fattened by everything. Um, and it's good in a sense, but we just... Um, you know, we have so much. One, one thing I was thinking, like, what do I have that can't already be found? And uh, the first thing is my testimony. And uh, I haven't really shared it um, publicly. I've only shared bits and pieces with people I'm in a relationship with. So I'm going to just kind of run through, you know, my story is pretty long as far as uh, there's so many points in my life where God stepped in and was faithful that uh, sometimes I don't know where to start. But really what it comes down to is um, I 
grew up, you know, from my very first memory, I grew up knowing Jesus. Um, I just, I knew who he was, and I loved him when I was little. And, um, but, and so he was always my savior, but it wasn't really until I was about 27 that he became my Lord. And throughout my life, I, it was kind of a walking out the realization um, of what that means. And he used um, the lowest point, which is often what happens um, to get me to come to that place. You know, like the prodigal son, he, he never forgot who his father was. He always knew, um, but he departed from his father's house and went his own way. And um, so for me, I grew up, just to give you some background, I, I mean, just talking about stories, I could probably, you know, be here for hours. So I'm trying to, I'll try to cut out some pieces, but um, I grew up mostly with my mother. Um, she was in and out of uh, relationships and, um, you know, but of all the children, I have an older brother, a younger brother, and a younger sister. They, they stayed, they always stayed with their fathers. I was the one who didn't. So if my mom went somewhere, I was with her. And uh, she got saved in 1985 in a Billy Graham crusade, which is pretty awesome. I didn't even know that till like uh, this year, actually. I was like, why didn't she ever tell me that? It was in Anaheim, California. Um, but she struggled with a lot of things, you know, a lot of hurt. And she, she's told me bits and pieces of her story and uh, just a lot of the things she's been to been through is incredible. You know, she's really my hero. I say that um, quite honestly. And so I grew up, uh, you know, the first few years of my life um, with my mom. We were, you know, homeless at, at points in time. And um, I never really had a realization of that. I was always taken care of and fed. And, you know, it wasn't like a sob story type thing, but just walking through those things and we ended up when I was five years old uh, through you know some broken marriages and whatnot uh, getting into the ministry so I, I had a, a I had the family unit in my life you know um, brothers and sisters mom and dad stepfather who I called dad and we were um, you know in the church and things were really good. You know, I saw miracles when I was little. I, I, I've never had a problem with the supernatural. You know, I grew up in a charismatic kind of background. Um, I saw miracles. My little brother, for example, he drank antifreeze when he was three years old. And he was supposed to die. And he was miraculously healed in the hospital. Um, I got in a car accident with my mother. She, we rolled into a ditch. You know, when I was four, I didn't have a seatbelt. I didn't have a scratch on me. This man picked us up, took us home. My mom believes he was an angel, like, and I believe he was too. She asked him where he was from, and he said, over yonder. He's this redhead man. And later, years later, uh, she had a conversation telling the story to one of her friends. And she, she had the same type of experience in a car accident, a red-handed man, or red, excuse me, 
a red, red-haired man from over yonder. Um, when I was eight years old, we uh, were leaving church one time, and we were pulling out of a gas station. I remember the night perfectly, you know, from like going to church to leaving to what we got at the gas station. And I remember I, just really, I was really sleepy. We got in the car. It was seven of us in a Pontiac Grand Am. So there's only five seats in a Pontiac Grand Am. I was sitting on the lap of uh, someone else. I didn't have my seatbelt on. We were rear-ended. Rear uh, the woman who rear-ended us was actually, used to be my babysitter. She was going 80, 80 to 85 miles per hour. We were going 25. So we went airborne into a, a cornfield, essentially. And uh, I just remember an explosion of sound and noise and screaming and I can like I can even still smell uh, smell the smell like from the accident now and I woke up well first that happened and I saw a bright just like this actually <laughs> these bright lights or a bright light like a kind of golden amber light and some people some figures Silhouettes, you know, like you're lying down on a surgical table around the light. Then, and they were looking at me and they were saying something. And I woke up and I was outside of the vehicle sitting on my mother's lap. And then the ambulance pulled up, right? And uh, so I don't know how I got out of the car, but I, you know, I believe the angelic 100% was there. And I was un, uh, didn't have anything wrong with me. I didn't even have a concussion. I went home the same night, um, and everybody in the car survived. We have, we had Polaroid pictures of the car, and um, you know you, the police report, and everybody's like, no one should have survived this, but um, God's hand was there. And I, you know these moments, there's there's a lot of these moments in my life, and I just look at how um, faithful. He is, you know, even um, in moments when I was completely disobedient. Um, you know, the thing about grace is we serve an omnipresent, omniscient God who's in all points in time. You know, sometimes we have this relationship where we see him in the now, but we forget that he's also in our tomorrow. And, he was, and he's in our yesterday. And his grace, the depth of his grace, of, of, of the redemptive power, um, it's so far beyond what we really um, realize. And uh, anyways, so that happened, and it was, it, it, these became great testimonies, and we were really moving, thriving in the church in the, in the 90s. You know, things were happening, and I was just kind of along for the ride as an eight-year-old and really enjoying being in family, even though there was, you know, a lot of problems with my my mother and um, stepfather, and uh, around 1999, my uh, stepfather at the time, he wanted to take a job in a, a different state, because we were living in Montana, and he wanted to take a job in Oregon, and uh, what had happened was he needed, he had some stuff that he needed to repent of, and there was grace there for that, but he wanted to run away with the family. And um, 
for me, I w- as an eight-year-old, hearing that we might move, I was just excited for a new place. Um, so I, d- I didn't really know what was going on, but what had happened um, in this process, because we were really active in the church, and we, there's accountability and whatnot, we had a, a Native American pastor uh, come to our house, and he was in tears, just weeping. And uh, he said, I had, a, a, it was a dream or a vision. And he said, if, your fam- if you leave with your family, he's speaking to my um, stepfather, it, it won't go well for you. And it wasn't like a curse. It was like a warning. Like, don't do this. Um, and what had happened was he did not receive that well. He really just got angry. He left, um, and this is also a testimony of what happens when the father is not in line with God in the home, what can happen. So we all packed up, and we went to Oregon, and within about six months, um, my parents were getting divorced. Um, my stepbrother got paralyzed in a car accident from the chest down, and his wife left him. They had a, a a two-year-old, I think, at the time, one or two-year-old. And my stepsister got pregnant at 13 years old. My mom backslid, fell into alcohol alcoholism. Um, my stepfather kind of departed from the faith completely. Uh, me and my brothers were separated. My younger brother went with his dad. And my mom, um, she just had to work, so we were kind of left um, on our own. And me, I was like, I was 10 years old at the time. I took it probably worse than anybody else. Um, when you're that age and you know God is real and you, you know, you don't, but you don't know much else, it's just really confusing. And um, it just brings up questions that you don't have answers for because the people that were giving you answers before are now doing things you know aren't right. Like, I knew my mom shouldn't be drinking. Like, I felt like more, there was times when I was in middle school, I felt like more of a Christian than she did. Just like, what's, you know. Um, so that, that event set off this pattern. You know, you, you think about, like, the, the consequences of disobedience. You know, we look at the apple, or not the apple, the fruit, rather in the garden, and then that parallel, like in my own testimony, and I know, you know, different testimonies as well. Just from that one event, it just set the, set this ripple effect through the rest of my life up until I was about, you know, 26, 27 years old of just destruction in different ways. Um, I got involved um, with alcohol around high school, and um, never stopped believing in God. I was always a Christian. I always um, would confess that if asked. But I started hanging out with, you know, just, I was, you know, when you, when you lose your father, too, or the father figure, you're, you end up grasping for that somewhere else. And I was doing that mostly in my friends. And um, so I would... Mostly stay out of trouble. Um, 
But when I was getting out of high school, you know, fast forward, um, a lot of these things started to catch up with me. So I, my background is, uh, you know, I was in the Navy for eight and a half years. I was in the submarine force. And uh, so I, I left high school. How much time am I taking here? Okay. I'm trying to be mindful. I left... I left high school because I was just, uh, at this point, my mom is in, an, is in another marriage, the one that my little sister was, came out of, and it was a really toxic environment at, how, at, my, at the house, and I was just kind of like, I don't need to be here type thing, you know, typical teen angst. I know better than everybody else, and so I joined the Navy, and I didn't even tell my mother, like, when I was supposed to leave until, like, right before it was going to happen, just, I don't know, it was kind of being um, vindictive, but um, because I, I just, you know, I was angry inside about different things, and so I, when I leave the, for the Navy, um, you take someone like myself who just doesn't really uh, know where to look for, you know, a role model, right, well, you know, who, who had role models and, and, and they failed in different ways. Um, you kind of just go to the next best thing and then taking with that, you know, addictions and stuff. And, and the Navy and the military, you know, I've, I've met tons of Christians, but I, don't, I can count on one hand how many I personally met, you know, were really like what uh, what I would say submitted to the Lord, you know, because it's an environment. It can be difficult in that environment. You know, I went to a school in Connecticut for submarine school for a year, and you think you have what's mostly 18, 24-year-olds with a guaranteed paycheck, you know, and all males because it's, you know, the submarine force at the time was all male. And um, no real, like, uh, fatherly leadership or anything present other than the military version of that, which is, you know, totally different. And so it just, it's an environment for people to just get wrapped into stuff, into darkness and, me, you know, I got into drinking and partying pretty much um, as often as I could. Um, you know, the drinking was it's part of the, the kind of the Navy culture. And um, me, it, it caused a lot of problems in my life. Um, I was never like, I wasn't an alcoholic in the, in the way that I needed it all the time, but when I would drink, you know, it, it was always to excess and, you know, to my own shame and guilt for whatever happened. And so <coughs> I had a few years of doing the party thing uh, in the Navy, and I just, the whole, the whole time I had God, like, God's voice, you know, in my head. This isn't you. And um, I knew that, but you just ignore it. 
That's what I did. Um, I just kind of uh, ignored that voice. And I came home from leave one time. And uh, I don't know if this is the same time that I came home, but one time I, I got really drunk before Christmas Eve. And I actually, like, fell on the Christmas tree. And I didn't wake up till like, I don't know, 2 o'clock in, in the afternoon the next day. And I felt, like, so embarrassed and ashamed. And it was kind of laughed off, you know. But I, it was a moment for me. I was like, what, you know, what am I doing? Like, what is this? And my mom, she was still struggling with her own things, but she was trying to get, you know, like, struggling, trying to, um, you know, get back to the Lord. And she was talking to this prophet from Africa. And uh, I'm in the car with her on, on, on leave one time. And she says, uh, oh, this guy wants to talk to you. His name is Peter. And I was like, okay. I, I didn't know who this was. I never met him. And, and I pick up the phone and he says, Daniel, don't turn your back on God. And that's all he said. And then he said, okay, you can give the phone back to your mother. And uh, I w it was like a seed. Like, yeah, that's exactly what I've been doing this whole time. I've just been ignoring who I know that I'm supposed to be. And from that moment, I was like, okay, when I came back, you know, I was still going out and drinking and, you know, um, doing whatever. Uh, but that moment, um, there was something implanted in me, and there was future moments from there that really um, started this path back, I guess you would say. So I, I remember I went out and bought a Bible before deployment, and I was reading it every day on deployment. Um, and people were, I was in the lunch line with my Bible, you're like, dude, what's wrong with you? Is that the Bible? Like, yeah. And I was like really getting something out of it. I was like, I'm like, I'm gonna read the whole thing. Like, I'm excited about this. And we had Sunday service on the submarine, and it's usually only only like one or two people. And it's it's not that great. Um, <laughs> depending on you know what boat you're on, I guess. But I was like really excited about it. It's like, hey guys, you wanna come to church on Sunday under the sea and uh, and I, there was all these things I was like reading in the word and I was like I want to talk to somebody about this like what you know why are the tribes of Israel and Genesis not the same as Revelation like what's going on there um, and people were like um, I don't know what to tell you uh, just not passionate at all just kind of you know checking the box for their their Christianity. So I was, the zeal was like coming to me. Um, I was like, and I could, I saw myself on this path, like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm departing from this life. And uh, I didn't expect to share this much in my testimony. So it might affect the rest of the message, but uh, I'm just going to leave that as it is. Um, so it started me on this path, and then as I would start to pray and stuff, and 
I, I asked the Lord um, in prayer. I was like, okay, if I'm going to get my, my life right, you know, one thing I always had in my heart deeply since I was a little kid was family and a wife. And I was like, Lord, I just pray you send me, you know, the, the one, right? Um, and one thing I learned since then, you know, your prayers, there are counterfeits. Um, Paul Keith Davis, he's got a book called Books of Destiny. He talks about our spirits, and you don't have to agree with this revelation. I'm just giving you an example. But he talks about our spirits being in heaven and the scroll being read. And he says all of heaven can hear our scroll, even the demons and, and Satan, right? It's kind of an affront to him. Like, look at what this man is destined for. And he talks about how, you know, the enemy knows what you're destined for, but he doesn't know your, what it looks like or your future. And in that way, and he knows things about you, in that way he can try to, using the demonic and through other people and whatnot, the power of the air, uh, influence your decisions by presenting, you know, these counterfeits to you. And I made this prayer, and within like, it's like a week or two, instantly this woman comes into my life who's like showering me with affection, something I never, you know, had before. And I was like, oh, this is, this has got to be from God. Um, and it was feeding my insecurities. Um, and so thinking I, it was the right thing, but also having things that I had not surrendered, right? Because the whole thing that you can't be confused if you don't have sin in your life. Um, at least sin will always bring confusion, um, I should say. And I still had things I w hadn't surrendered to God. And so, it, it, you know, how many cracks, you know, in the foundation does it take for it to be compromised? So I ran into a marriage with this woman, like, you know, it was within months. That even from, like, the first moment I saw her, there was something in me that's like, I just knew it wasn't right. But I was overriding that with, okay, I prayed about this, and there was all these, like, coincidences, right? Like, oh, how, you know, we had mutual connections and stuff, and um, sometimes we can chalk that up, oh, this must be God, but really, you have to hear the Spirit and then filter out, you know, what's in your natural circumstances, and so I ran into this marriage, and that this is all in the midst of me really pursuing God for the first time. It was like the, the devil's like, oh, no, you know, like, let's, let's, like, throw a wrench into those gears, which he did. Because it, it brought me to, like, the lowest place in my life, which was, um, I'm now divorced, but five years of marriage. Um, and out of it, um, you know, it was a very abusive relationship, both physically and, um, you know, even s spiritually. Like, there was, I, I could come home sometimes, and I could just walk into this atmosphere, like, I could feel it, you know. And uh, I was struggling so much, trying 
to pursue God in, in this inner turmoil. And um, out of it, you know, I got my son, Jack, who's not here today. Um, I think he's great. Um, but I also learned so much about covenant and the importance of covenant and how um, it's not taken lightly in the kingdom. And so through this marriage, I won't give all the details, but towards things coming to the end, really, in March of 2016, I found myself in a holding cell, basically a jail cell, cell uh, under the New London County Courthouse in, in Connecticut. I was wearing someone else's clothes because I had to change out of my military uniform. And I'm sitting there, I'm standing there, and I'm like, I'm not supposed to be here. And I was just so, you know, I just, you, you get, just like the story, the prodigal son, you get brought to the end of yourself. And I've, heard, I've listened to testimonies of people talk about visitations to hell. And they say the one thing that everybody says when they come to hell is I'm not supposed to be here. Um, which is true, because it was created for the devil and his angels. It wasn't created for man. And I, I was brought to the pit, you know, as it says in scripture in my own life. I'm not supposed to be here. And um, long story short, me and my ex-wife were arrested and um, I had, we both had charges against us for uh, domestic dispute and whatnot. And that was kind of the, uh, the, the, the end of things. Um, there was a lot after that that happened that transpired that I won't go into, but um, it was also the, the best thing that ever happened to me um, because I was awoken to just my own frailty, depravity, my, the, my own, um, you can't depend on yourself, you know, you can't, and you can't do it your way. And I just kind of realized that for the first time. I so I'm in a barracks room you know, we're separated at this point, and we, charges were dropped through the court, and we're trying to figure out what we're going to do, and um, I'm reading this book by John Bevere um, called Driven by Eternity. Anybody, anybody read that book, by the way? One person. It's a really, oh, two people. It's a really good book. That's a book, like, if someone wants it, like, I'll buy it for you. Um, except don't everybody raise your hand. <laughs> um, that book changed my life. And I don't, if I reread it, read, reread it now, um, you know, it wouldn't have the same impact. But that book, uh, it put like the fear of the Lord in me. Um, it gave me a revelation of eternity, you know, which is kind of what I want to talk about 
I'm here, so. And um, you know, we we do things not realizing uh, the eternal value of those things so often. And uh, and I think uh, that's one thing we need more of in our lives now, especially. Like, and I'll c continue with my testimony, but, um, you know, these are, these are days where um, we don't have, we don't have a day to waste, you know. Um, I feel like these are days where we can't take a day off from God. We have to have an eternal perspective on everything, like just not just on how important it is for be to be consecrated and pursuing the Lord, but how valuable the little things you do are. And um, Bob Jones, the prophet, he talks about this revelation he received from the Lord about the fruit of the Spirit. And um, he talks about, and you don't have to, you don't have to agree with this either, but um, I believe he's onto something. Uh, he says the fruit of the Spirit is the only gift you can give God. Right. So think about giving a gift to God, who, who. Everything is His, right? All things are His. All things are His servants. He holds the, together the, the universe by the word of His power. And um, one thing He can't have without our partnership is the fruit of the Spirit. We can give Him something that it takes our own free will to partner with that and that's so valuable and the fruit of the spirit is not it's not signs and wonders or prophecy or even souls or ministries or it's actually um, heart postures and right, love joy Peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Is that all of them? <laughs> I did pretty good. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Uh, you can do those. You can do a lot of those while you're sitting in traffic. I'm I'm serious. We don't think, and I'm talking about eternal perspective. You don't think of it that way. You can give God an eternal gift in traffic. And actually, during this sermon, some of you have been giving him something of eternal value. Patience. <laughs> right? And uh, I, I talk about that because... Uh, I think it's important, like, little um, revelations like that, they really have power to change your perspective. Um, 
they change mine. I, I think about, I try to think about these things all the time, like how the details and the little things matter. You know, um, yesterday we were, a lot of you were at the event in Harmony Home. And uh, I think it's, that's, that's one environment I just, there's a lot to process of just like an examining yourself. Um, when you see people who are in this, you know, homeless people, uh, people who have, you know, several children with them and they're, they're about to get a bag of stuff and go back out in the cold. It's a good time to examine your own heart, you know. Um, what is your response to those people? And mine, you know, I just see my, I see so much room for me to expand, uh, to receive God's heart in, in times like that. Like, I, uh, you know, sometimes I think when I see people like that, you know, because we, it's like we all know that, you know, like just the smells, for example. You know, some of us are like just trying to like bear it, like we're struggling just to get over that. Like that's all, all, that's all we can think about is the smell um, or whatever it is, you know, the things that offend the soul. And we need, if we want to love, we need to, like, override that stuff, you know. And it takes, it takes a supernatural love and a revelation of Jesus in our hearts to do that. Um, he died for these people. Like, he didn't just die. He, he gave up everything, bankrupted heaven, and he would have done it for just one of them. And I'm like, man, you know, personally, I'm like, I want, I want to be branded with that reality. Because I think sometimes I look at people that are in situations like this, and not just homeless people, um, but just unbelievers or, um, or whoever. Like, man, if they would just, if they would just get their act together and follow Jesus, things would know work out so much better but I'm not realizing the fact and my attitude is placing me without me even realizing it above them right oh because I have Jesus and they don't when really I'm not seeing that I have been given a grace that they don't have um, and it's and it's an offense to the cross to exalt myself with those kind of mindsets. Um, because, and this will lead me into something I wanted to read. And I just want to say this, this sermon went totally different than I was expecting. But it's good. I'm learning uh, Holy Spirit.
if we want to be the people that we're called to be in the days ahead, right? You know, I was talking about the prophetic perspective of where we're at. Um, it says they will be known for their love for each other. You know, harvest is here. Reinhard Bonnke just passed away yesterday. On, um, and I was just processing this earlier today. On December 7th, uh, which is also the date of Pearl Harbor, Pearl Harbor bombing. And that bombing was actually the event that caused us to enter into the war. We went, we went into the war today in 1941 from an unprovoked attack. And uh, I was thinking about that, like, Lord, what's the significance? And I was thinking about the fact that realizing we are at war, um, you know, there are, all, there are all these prophetic things about harvest and, and souls and the glory and power of God moving through his people. All of those th wonderful things that are prophesied are because there's a response of darkness. We're answering, you know, we're answering the need. Why would God save his greatest grace, you know, through all the generations for the end unless it was needed the most? Um, and I think we're stepping into um, some of those things. Uh, as far as in the world around us. And it should bring a sobriety to us when I'm talking about other things like, you know, just loving and have an internal perspective, seeing the value in little things, the fruit of the Spirit. Um, not missing moments. You know, j like yesterday, I, uh, there was a woman who was yelling and screaming in the hallway and uh, I was right there and I, I felt compassion for her but it's like you feel the compassion and you're like oh, okay I don't know what to do and uh, so I went over to her she, you know there were some other people there that helped calm her down and uh, she was like I'm pregnant and I'm hungry and I can't find this person and her partner was doing drugs somewhere out outside of the building and came back in and she was upset about that. I asked her her name and uh, I went and reached out and grabbed her hand. And I could feel when I grabbed her hand, she didn't want to let go of my hand because she was feeling a touch. She was feeling love. And I actually regretted letting go of her hand. Um, I wish I would have just held her hand and I wanted to like give her a hug because I knew that, like that's what she needed. Because um, I, I asked her, I was like, can I pray for you? And she's like, I don't want your prayers. And it's true. She didn't want my prayer. Like this person's crying out to be loved. That's, that's why she's the way she is. The whole world, you, you know, it's all rooted in the lack of the, the, all the darkness in the world, you know, it's, 
lacking the love of the Father. And we're called to give that. And um, so talking about, you know, the days we're stepping into, I think we, we need to keep that at the center of everything we're doing. Um, you know, I've s- seen and heard about some things going on in, like, ministry circles that are like, I'm like, of people I respect and admire and, um, you know, listen to their teachings and just things happening in churchianity. And I'm just like, what is this? Like, th- this is a demonic, you know, whatever spirit this is, you know, and there's the religious spirit and the political spirit moving through the church in different ways. It's powerful and it's deceiving people. And humility will keep us from falling into those things. Which is, you know, humility will allow us to love freely. Um, And I think more than anything else that I was going to say, humility is the thing we need the most. And the fear of the Lord. Like, it's so good how much we've we've got this revelation of the, the love of the Father and His goodness and His kindness and how accepted we are by the blood of Jesus. But we can't, we have to have an equal revelation of the, of the awe and reverence and the fear of the Lord. We can't have an imbalance if we want to be the people we're called to be. If we want to be united, I pray that they be one, even as we are one. We have to have a full revelation of the goodness and the severity of the Lord, and that will keep us humble because we need humility. And um, I think without it, we can't even think that we have it. You know, it's it's that thing of uh, we have to be dependent. Like, we need the wound in our hip, like Jacob, to realize we can't run the race um, by our own strength, by our own revelation, by our own history with God. Um, I recently reread the book, The Final Quest, can you raise your hand if you read that book? One, two, three, four. Okay. So I feel like um, one thing I, I should do is encourage everybody. Everybody here uh, should read The Final Quest by Rick Joyner. Um, that, that, might, that, that might sound like a, a weird statement, but... Um, Next to the Bible, I would honestly say, and I'm, I don't think I'm exaggerating, it's the most important book for the church to read in this day and age to be aware of exactly what the enemy is trying to do, both in your individual life and the corporate body. Um, I read it last year for the first time, and I, there was parts I started just weeping 
and I felt, I felt the fear of the Lord in the book. And basically, if you don't, if you never heard of it or if you never read it, it's a series of prophetic visitations. Ser- ser- of course. So it's written by Rick Joyner and uh, from Morningstar. And it's a series of prophetic revelations, visitations, and dreams over a few years that he had with God, where he was taken to this end times battle. And he sees the hordes of hell, right, coming, the forces of darkness coming against God's people. And they have divisions and banners they're holding up, like they're, they're organized, and they're, there's divisions of you know, jealousy and envy, pride. One of them is even respectability. You know, just that one line of the book, I read that. I was like, oh, man. Think about how that has been used in the church, you know, respectability, how the enemy uses that. But he saw these, these demonic armies, this army marching, and... He got, as he got closer, sorry, oh, it's my computer, I didn't really need this computer, okay, get off, as he got closer to, see, to put his eyes on these um, demonic armies, he realized that each one of these demons is on the, backs, on the back of a Christian. Right, And the whole story is actually not about the world and the darkness that's in the world, because we already know. I mean, that's a given. If you don't have Jesus, what's the end result? It's darkness. We know the world's story, and the God sent his son to save the world because he loves the world. and he, He's not willing that any should perish, but some will. And so he sees that the real darkness was really being pushed by the, the demonic forces on the backs of Christians. And, um, and it unfolds from there, this whole revelation, you know, sending this mountain as the mountain of the Lord. And, and the theme kind of throughout the whole thing, there's three books in a series, but really you get most of it in the first one. You could finish it in a day. The theme throughout the whole thing is humility. Like he talks about going up this mountain and it's different layers of revelation. There's salvation and there's faith and then there's healing. And, and he, sa- he says, you know, as he's having these visitations, he would see these great champions of the faith that are like anointed and they have this insane, you know, looking armor that's, gl- you know, shining. And they wield their swords with ease and confidence. They take out demons. And um, they're on the mountain. You know, there's this plateau. It says Galatians 2.20. It's not I who live, who lives, but Christ who lives in me. Right? And he's like, he was just in such awe of these warriors. And then he heard from the spirit of wisdom, which was Jesus Christ. And he said, take heed when you think you stand, lest you fall. Because he said, 
even those anointed champions, generals, could fall. And he was given this cloak of humility. It was his like brown rag put over him. And then his eyes were opened to all these other armies that no one else was seeing. Even these champions, right, of the faith, they couldn't, they didn't have their eyes to see this. They were blinded to it. And the only thing that allowed him to see that was humility. It's the only shortcut in the kingdom. And I'm thinking, like, if I want to be prepared to what, what I see ahead, what we see ahead, um, we can't get away from that. Um, and so, firstly, I want to end that with saying, uh, you, if you read the book, you'll thank me later. Um, but read your Bible before anything. <laughs> I, I'm just, I'm sharing that because I know the book will bless every single one of you if you do read it. Um, and I, I feel like it's a message for the church, you know. Um, it's a prophetic word. Heed the words of the prophets and you shall prosper, right? First Chronicles 2020, we're entering into 2020. We're entering into harvest. I think that's part of why Reinhard Bonnke in the last month and in the Hebrew, he died on the ninth day of the ninth month, which represents birthing, right? We're stepping into 2020, and the greatest harvester, as far as a man goes, as far as that anointing goes, he had crowds that Billy Graham never even touched. He had the largest groups, gatherings of people in the name of Jesus that the world has ever seen. You know, in Lagos, the total crusade, I think that when I was looking at the facts, like the largest they had at one time was 1.6 million. But the total crusade, 6 million people came. Right, that's almost the population of Massachusetts. That already happened. Like we're talking about harvest, you know, and that already happened. That actually happened several years ago. And with that man passing away, um, I know that it's a sign of what's to come, what we're stepping into. And we need to be ready. You know, some of the things we're praying for, we're actually not prepared to receive. And we need to be prepared. Could you imagine if everybody you prayed for was healed every time? Because I was thinking about something like this, like, I think that actually might be bad for me. Just being honest, like, what if every single person, like, I, right, every single person, no matter what the, no matter what the condition, was healed? Can you imagine what would come with that, right? And th that's an extreme example of just, un, you know, perspective. Um, the Lord wants to give us what we're asking for. He's not like, okay, you've, you said 74 prayers, and I'm waiting on, you know, yeah, 75. And then, 
And I'm not saying we don't pray and strike the ground like we should. We should say a prayer 75 and 76 and 77. Pray without ceasing. But it's not our lack of prayers many times that um, is keeping us from receiving certain things. It's are we prepared to receive it? Are, is our, you know, are our hearts right? You know, Rick Joyner has a quote like, if anybody truly understood true authority, they would never ask for it because it comes with such accountability and weight. It's, you know, it's a weight that can only be supernaturally carried if it's going to be stewarded correctly. And we need humility to step into these things that we're called to, you know. But, you know, when it talks about, when we talk about signs and wonders that are going to happen, we need, we need humble people who truly have the, the humility of Jesus to walk in those things. Because you just see how easily it could just get perverted, you know. They could get off track. People could use them, even if they're in the right place, the people around them. And that's just, you know, it could be anything, prophetic giftings and gifts of the Spirit and revelations. Um, We can't get away from humility. And... um, So one thing I wanted to close with... (laughs) Um, is I wanted to read something. Um, Because it seems like humility kind of ended up being the theme of my uh, my talk here. Um, So this is an excerpt from book I just mentioned. And uh, it'll probably only take, you know, five to seven minutes to read the whole thing. But I thought about, I, you know, I didn't want to come up here and read something, but I felt like I should, especially based on the fact that um, the event we had yesterday, uh, you know, helping the homeless, which was awesome. Uh, but it kind of goes back to what I was saying before about having a revelation, not exalting ourselves, you know, over anybody, especially people that are in, the, like, the most dire situations. Um, so what I'm going to read, it's called uh, a portion of the book. It's about a man named Angelo. And... Just to give you background, um, Rick Joyner, who's having this experience, he is in heaven with Jesus, and they're in this this hall, uh, they're in this place where all these thrones of kings are, who were um, at one time on the earth. And he's looking at these people, and he, you know, he says as he would see them, he would see their stories, their testimonies. And he was surprised to learn, to see some of these people seated on these great thrones that were, you know, more majestic than, you know, Solomon. 
Um, and it gave him this perspective of how grace works. And it humbled him. And when I read it, it like, I was like, man, this is, I need this. Like, I need to be marked by this. And so I did feel like I should read it. And um, even though I'm reading it, I, I hope you guys pay attention um, to the message here because it's, I think it's really important for us just to keep our hearts in this place. But Jesus and him, are, they're in this, um, they're looking at these thrones, and he sees this man, Angelo. And Jesus begins to tell him, I, I need to tell you about this man because you'll see the way my love works, right? So that's the context here. Um, and it opens up with Jesus speaking, right? He says, I have never changed, but you have. Speaking to Rick Joyner. You are changed, you are changed as you behold my glory with an unveiled face. That's First uh, Corinthians 3.18. The experiences you, ha you have had are removing the veils from your face so that you can see me more clearly. Yet nothing removes them as quickly as when you behold my love. So this is Rick talking. He then stopped and I turned to look at the, those on the thrones next to us. We were still in the place where the highest kings were sitting. Then I recognized a man who was close by. Sir, I know you from somewhere, but I simply cannot remember where. So he sees this man sitting on a throne, and he's provoked, like, oh, I remember this person. And he says, you once saw me in a vision. I immediately remembered and was shocked. So you were a real person. Yes, he replied. I remember the day, and this is Rick talking again, when as a young Christian, I had become frustrated with some issues in my life. I went out into the middle of a battlefield park near my apartment and determined that I would wait until the Lord spoke to me. As I sat reading my Bible, I was caught up into a vision, one of the first ones I ever had. So he sees this man on the throne. He realizes he recognizes him from his years ago in his life. He saw this man in a vision. And he realized he was actually a real person. He wasn't just a face in his head. So he comes back to this vision. In the vision, I saw a man who was zealously serving the Lord. He was continually witnessing to people, teaching the Bible, and visiting the sick to pray for them. He was very zealous for the Lord and had a genuine love for people. Then I saw another man named Angelo, who was obviously a tramp or a homeless person. When a small kitten wandered onto his path, he started to kick it but restrained himself though he still shoved it out of the way rather harshly with his foot. Then the Lord asked me, which of these men pleased him the most? What do you think the answer is? You know, there's this contrast here. You see this man, he's doing all the, he's doing the kingdom stuff. He's zealous, he's passionate, he knows the word, he's praying for people. And then there's this homeless guy who's, He's having a hard time not kicking a kitten walking on the sidewalk. And Jesus asks him, uh, which one of these pleased me the most? 
And obviously there's more to the story. But he says, Rick says, the first, without hesitating. And the Lord says, no, the second. He responded and began to tell me their stories. He shared that the first man had been raised in a wonderful family, which had always known the Lord. He grew up in a thriving church and then attended one of the best Bible colleges in the country. He had been given 100 portions of God's love, but he was only using 75. The second man was born deaf. He was abused. He was kept in the dark in a cold attic until he was found by the authorities when he was eight years old. He had then been shifted from one institution to another where the abuse continued. Finally, he was turned out into the streets. The Lord had only given him three portions of his love to help him overcome all of this. But he had mustered every bit of it to fight the rage in his heart and keep from hurting the kitten. I now looked at that man, a king sitting on a throne, right? He's back in heaven looking at this guy on a throne. Far more glorious than Solomon could have ever imagined. Hosts of angels were arrayed about him, waiting to do his bidding. I turned to the Lord in awe. I still could not believe he was real, much less one of the great kings. Lord, please tell me the rest of his story, he says. Of course, that is why we are here. Angelo was so faithful with the little I had given to him that I gave him three more portions of my love. He used all of that to quit stealing. He almost starved. But he refused to take anything that was not his. He bought his food with what he could make collecting bottles, and occasionally he found someone who would let him do his yard work, or let him do yard work, rather. He didn't have a yard, he was homeless. Angelo could not hear, but he had learned to read, so I sent him a gospel track. As he read it, the spirit opened his heart, and he gave his life to me. I again doubled the portions of my love to him, and he faithfully used all of them. He wanted to share with me with others, but he could not speak. Even though he lived in such poverty, he started spending over half of everything he made on gospel tracts to give out on street corners. How many did he lead you to? So Rick is getting the story. He's asking him, how many people did he lead to Jesus? And he said he was thinking that it would have been multitudes for him to be seating, sitting with kings in heaven. And the Lord says, one. In order to encourage him, I let him lead a dying alcoholic to me. It encouraged him so much that he would have stood in that corner for many more years just to bring another soul to rep repentance. But all of heaven was entreating me to bring him here quickly. And I, too, wanted him to receive his reward. And he's processing this. He says, but what did Angelo do to become a king here? He was faithful with all that he was given. He overcame all until he became like me and he died a martyr. But what did he overcome and how was he martyred? He overcame the world with my love. Very few have overcome so much with so little. Many of my people dwell in homes with conveniences that kings would have envied just a century ago. That's pretty much all of us here. Yet they do not appreciate them. Angelo, on the other hand, would so appreciate even a cardboard box on a cold night that he would turn it into a glorious temple of my presence. 
Angelo began to love everyone and everything. He would rejoice more over an apple than some of my people do over a great feast. He was faithful with all that I gave him, even though it was not very much compared to what I gave others, including you. I showed him to you in a vision because you passed by him many times. We're talking about a real person, too. This isn't just a, an allegory. Um, once you even pointed him out with one of your friends and spoke of him, and he says, I did, what did he say? He said, so this is Rick seeing this person. He says, there is another one of those Elijahs who would have escaped from the bus station. You said he was a religious nut who was sent by the enemy to turn people off to the gospel. I, I think about that. I'm like, I could easily have the same mindset. I've seen these people, you know. This was the worst blow that I had yet suffered in this whole experience. I was more than shocked. I was appalled. I tried to remember the specific incident, but could not simply because there were so many others like it. I had never had much compassion for filthy street preachers, considering them the tools of Satan. I'm sorry, Lord. I'm really sorry. He says, you are forgiven. And you are right that there are many who try to preach the gospel on the streets for wrong or even perverted reasons. Even so, there are many who are sincere. Even if they are untrained and unlearned, you must not judge by appearances. There are as many true servants who look like he did as there are among the polished professionals in the great cathedrals and organizations that men have built in my name. He then motioned for me to look up at Angelo. When I had turned, he had descended the steps onto his throne and was now right in front of me. Opening his arms, he gave me a great hug. Love poured over me and through me until I felt that it would overload my nervous system. When he finally released me, I was staggering as if I was drunk, but it was a wonderful feeling. And Jesus says, he, he could have imparted that to you on the earth. He had much to give my people, but they would not come near him. Even my prophets avoided him. He grew in faith by buying a Bible and a couple of books that he read over and over. He tried to go to churches, but he could not find one that would receive him. If they would have taken in him, they would have taken me in. He was my knock upon their door. I was learning a new definition of grief, Rick says. How did he die? I, I asked, remembering that he had been martyred. Based on what I had seen so far, I was half expecting that I was somehow was responsible for that. He froze to death, trying to keep alive an old wino who had passed out in the cold. As I looked at Angelo, I could not believe how hard my heart had been. Even so, I did not understand how dying in this way made him a martyr, which I thought was a title reserved for those who died because they would not compromise their testimony of the Lordship of Christ. Lord, I know that he is truly an overcomer, I remarked, and it truly is warranted for him to be here. But are those who die in such a way actually considered a martyr? Angelo was a martyr every day that he lived. He'd only do enough for himself to stay alive, and he gladly sacrificed his life to save a needy friend. As Paul wrote to Corinthians, even if you give your body to be burned, but do not have love, it counts as nothing. But when you give yourself with love, it counts for much. And I'll stop there. Um, I hope you followed the story. Um, I think it just goes to speak on, we can't trust our, our own soulish perspective on things. And we need humility, and we need that love 
And uh, so I think it'd be a good time to close in prayer with that. Um, firstly, thank you, everybody, for giving me grace to speak and do something that I don't normally do. Um, Father, I just thank you uh, for this opportunity to just receive your heart, to receive a greater revelation of your love, to be washed with the fear of the Lord, To have the humility, Lord, to see the things that prideful eyes cannot see, Lord. Father, I pray that you bless everyone in here with a deep revelation of your heart for the days to come, of how you want us to be prepared. Lord, I ask that we would be risen up as a prepared people. who are known for their love for each other. I ask that you would pour out dreams and visions and revelations in the night, Lord, that would lead us in the way that we should go, that we would not depart from it. That when there are other places, Lord, both in the world and in the church that are growing in Divide, Lord, that this would be a place where unity thrives. So I thank you, Lord. I thank you for this opportunity tonight, Lord, and I just bless everyone here and pray that everyone would take with them something of value, something of eternal value for the week ahead. We love you, Lord. We, we thank you. We praise you. In Jesus' name. Amen. So, at this point, um, <laughs>